Hi, and welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and Star Wars. But it's mostly about Star Wars. Kevin, how are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, we are a little more than halfway through our pre-visiting family for Thanksgiving quarantine. And it's been great to be spending so much time with you working from home. And uh, I'm pretty excited for our trip. That is all the right answers rolled into one. We've been responsible. You love me. And we maybe get to see family. I'm pretty pumped about it. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped about it too. How are you feeling about that uh, road trip? Not excited about it. Yeah. Um, what, what is it? 15, 16 hours in the car? Yep, each way. Yeah, so uh, besides me saying, are we there yet? Uh, what else should we talk about in the car ride? Probably relationships in Star Wars. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, I'm still, uh, I'm still aiming for that side trip to Grand Canyon. <laughs> I, I just don't see it happening. I don't either, but, you yeah. know, man can dream. Sorry, maybe next time. Maybe next time. All right, so we were talking last time about who we were going to talk about next. And I think that today is a very fine time for us to talk about the life and times of Ahsoka Tano. So why is that so timely right now? Well, we're, you know, basically anyone listening to this who hasn't watched The Clone Wars Rebels or The Mandalorian... Uh, our podcast can wait. Come back to us soon. Um, but no. So after that, here are a couple of spoilers. Is that Ahsoka Tano is coming into the Mandalorian. We knew it was coming, but it was revealed in the most recent episode that she is on the way. Uh, and it's just about the the journey of Din Djarin and Baby Yoda getting to her. So, like, she is such an exciting character. We don't know what she's going to bring to the Mandalorian. We hope she brings clarity. And we hope that she brings answers for Baby Yoda. But especially, we hope she brings a second series that we will get to enjoy on Disney Plus that will include her adventures with Sabine Wren. Yes, I am there for all of that. And I hope that you're right. Yes. So that is why it is timely to talk about Ahsoka Tano. Excellent. All right. So let's start from the beginning. So Ahsoka is probably the most typical Jedi that we know through like a long life right so we like we've met yoda and mace windu and obi-wan kenobi and everything but we meet them all when they're adults in fact they're all jedi masters uh for the most part i guess we meet obi-wan when he's a padawan but he's like a late stage padawan and you know him you know but um ahsoka is the first person that we really encounter who has been a lifelong jedi and we meet her at a very young age so she was discovered by master plo Koon. Um, on her home world when she was but a young, super duper youngling, probably two or three years old. And she was brought to the Jedi Temple at Coruscant and raised there uh, in the ways of the Jedi. And when we first see her on screen, she is a Padawan. She's probably about 13 years old and she's being dropped off in the middle of a pitched battle for reasons. Yeah. And those reasons are is that it's time for her to have a master and her to be a, a true Padawan apprentice to her master. And that master is none other than Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, who at the time, uh, sort of at very at first, he denies that uh, she is his Padawan. He said he didn't request a Padawan. He never wanted to have one. And he thought it was Obi-Wan's new apprentice because he's been made a full Jedi Knight and, in fact, is, is already a successful general uh, in the Clone Wars. And when she disembarks the shuttle, she says... Um, Master Kenobi, I am, of course, at your service, but I have been sent here to be uh, Master Skywalker's Padawan. And they're like, who did that? And she's like, Yoda. And they're like, crap. Well, Yoda probably did this on purpose. 
and is trying to teach us a lesson somehow. So uh, she becomes um, Anakin's Padawan. And at first he, he resists her, but very quickly he, glo- he grows to respect her and, um, you know, take on his role as teacher. Right. And I think what's really interesting here is that we see a relationship of teacher and student. We see older brother, younger sister, and we just see straight up friends. And so, you know, we we say that we're supposed to talk about relationships on this podcast. And I think that this relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka is so important. It's everything but like a a love interest, intimate relationship. It it just embodies so much. And the reason that they come together is is because of Yoda. And, And so we're wondering in what infinite wisdom did Yoda decide to put these two together? And I think that we see through the growth and development of their relationship, that that's what Yoda had envisioned. Yeah, I mean, she has a lot of spirit. She's spunky, I would say. Um, and uh, and so she's, you know, kind of one of the few people that can, that can keep up with Anakin. But she also has a lot to learn. And she helps Anakin recognize some of the weaknesses in himself. Like Yoda's no fool. He does this on purpose. And he picked this, this particular individual. It also seems just from the initial reaction that people have to her that she's a little bit younger than most. I mean, really, they're sending a 14-year-old into a war. And she carries with her the rank of commander, outranking all of the clones. Um, and, um, uh, you know, she's got to be something special to be able to do that. And so, uh, but, but, you know, she has a little bit of a maturing effect on Anakin as well as being a good partner to him. So I think Yoda knew what he was doing here. Completely agree. And I think one of the reasons that she's sent into battle at such a young age is, or two reasons, actually one, they're desperate. They're short of Jedi. Like there's a couple thousand Jedi spread across a galaxy fighting a battle they're supposed to be keepers of the peace but instead to your point they're generals and now commanders and so yeah they they got really no choice but to send a 13 14 year old into the middle of a battlefield and you know secondly she is extremely exceptional as a jedi she her her sword skills her her just sense of the force her quickness everything that she can do with the force is shocking for someone so young yeah. Also, her compassion and, and her personality are, are, are a really good complement to, you know, kind of the Kenobi Skywalker brand. Um, I think another relationship that I think is really important that, you know, kind of comes up in maybe her second or third scene is she immediately forms a bond with uh, Rex. And, you know, one of the first dialogues that she has with Rex, um, you know, uh, I think Anakin says, hey, Rex, here will show you the ropes. And she tries to point out some um, you know, something in military strategy. And he says, okay, well, uh, General Skywalker thinks this is okay. And she said, well, don't I actually outrank you? And he says, experience, experience outranks everything. And through her life, we see her coming back into contact with Rex over and over again. And he has, oh, it's it's kind of a like an older brother, younger sister, a, another relationship, but also that, you know, he is mystified by her Jedi powers and, so he has a lot of respect. It's a very mutual, respectful relationship where they work really well together. Yeah. And part of those early days when we meet Ahsoka, she's got, uh, you know, nicknames for everyone around her. And eventually that quickly drops because they're just really immature. And I think that, you know, the it was Dave Filoni, I think, who was handling the Clone Wars. I think, you know, kind of the directors of the series recognize like, you can't have that totally immature attitude 
into battle. You, you have to have a level of, of seriousness going into that. So some of those nicknames that she had for like R2 and for Anakin and, and stuff, those kind of go away. He calls her Snips for a while because she's snippy, but that also kind of goes away. Yeah. You don't dig Sky Guy? No, that was a terrible nickname. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, R2E is kind of cute, and I think she comes back to that every once in a while, but yeah, it's it's a little immature for fighting a war. Yeah. It, wrong tone. Wrong tone. No, and it's very similar to what we saw in Rebels with Ezra, where he's got his, you know, like slingshot for t- two episodes, and then they're like, no, that's not going to fly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so we, we kind of basically go through most of the Clone Wars series, and... and she just keeps fighting battles and she develops and her skills improve and her relationship with Anakin deepens um, her connection to the force. And we also see her interact with a bunch of other Jedi masters, too. Yeah, because we see scenes with her in Lumia, uh, Lumiara and Dooley. We see her with Plo Koon. We see her with, um, I think, Mace Windu once or twice. I, I think the biggest, yeah, kind of the biggest change to her um, through the Clone Wars is when she first starts, she has one lightsaber. And by somewhere in about halfway through the Clone Wars, she starts fighting with two lightsabers. So she has a main lightsaber and then what's called a Shoto, which is a short secondary lightsaber. Um, And she starts using more and more the sort of backhand technique that is kind of unique to her uh, and is pretty badass. Right. And uh, I believe you looked into this and this is the Jarke method of lightsaber fighting. Yeah, which is which is basically the name for using two lightsabers at the same time. So, you know, she's kind of one of the uh, one of the only people that you really see do that a lot. You know, Anakin pulls it off every once in a while. Uh, Asajj Ventress uses a uses the same technique but she uses more of an overhand style and curved lightsabers in the in the way of count dooku so ahsoka while she does use a you know a name technique i think she's the only really the only jedi that i've ever seen that uses sort of the backhand uh lightsaber technique in the way that she does um and uh and so it's it's something kind of special for her agreed and it's pretty cool because we're led to believe that anakin is one of the best swordsmen um in the jedi order and and here's someone on his heels that is able to do something pretty exceptional with the lightsabers as well yeah and in something that we'll talk about in a minute there is a, a, a point where she actually battles anakin and she holds her own against him which is pretty impressive right so we just kind of cruise along through the clone wars you know where do we finally see something that really has a big impact on the galaxy far, far away? So uh, Ahsoka is along with Anakin and Obi-Wan when they visit um, Mortis. So Mortis, if you remember, is a, um, you know, we've talked about it on the on the podcast before, but there's a, a an arc during the Clone Wars where Mortis is a planet shrouded by the Force where there live three beings, the father, the daughter, and the son. The daughter generally represents the light side of the force. The son more or less represents the dark side of the force and the father represents the balance between them. And as part of the prophecy of the one, Anakin is drawn to Mortis as the father is becoming old and incapable of of maintaining control over the son and daughter and asks um, Anakin to take his place and manage the balance in the force. And, you know, uh, Anakin, of course, declines to do this and results in a whole bunch of chaos and, and you know, uh, the force getting out of balance. But during that episode, um, uh, Ahsoka is possessed by the sun and fights Anakin uh, basically to a draw and then is ultimately uh, Ahsoka dies. 
Right. And what I really like about that episode is that Ahsoka has, for the most part, been extremely kind and compassionate. And just, you know, for someone so young, she seems so wise and aware of the importance of kindness. And then when she is possessed by the sun and the dark side of the force is allowed to radiate through her, she says some really hurtful, mean things. And those resonate with Ankin. Like he, it really makes a big impact on him. And I think that he realizes how good she is for him and how important their relationship is and how important she is to the Jedi. And so saving Ahsoka becomes really important at that point. And we've already seen how Ahsoka made Anakin grow as a Jedi and as a human. But this really, I I think, kind of brings it to a head here. Yeah. And ultimately, um, the daughter sacrifices herself to revive Ahsoka. And um, and in so doing, you know, leads to a situation where the father and the son also die and the force is thrown out of balance. But more importantly, Ahsoka is sort of imbued with the power of the daughter and is attached to the daughter has what I would describe as a familiar or an avatar. It's it's a kind of owl looking creature called Moriai. And that owl becomes sort of Ahsoka's familiar after that as a representation of the daughter looking over her. But that owl motif appears in various places where Ahsoka is or should be um, as either like a symbol of her presence or or uh, a symbol that she's coming or as a protector for her. And so Ahsoka after this has a little bit of a deeper connection to the light side of the force and additional kind of strength with the force. So after they leave Mortis, there's kind of a shift in the dynamics here. We've got a much more powerful Ahsoka. We've got a, a force in balance, like that, that's out of balance. And we now have uh, more fighting that we start seeing and more questions about the Jedi. And just things aren't as clear as maybe they were pre-Mortis. And one of those things is uh, a series of episodes in which uh, Ahsoka is involved with Saw Gerrera. Yeah. So, um, again, you know, as, as the war goes on, um, the Jedi get a little bit more unconventional in their tactics. And one of the things that they do on the planet Onderon, the Onderon government does not align themselves with the Republic and the separatists are sort of in charge of Onderon. And so what they do is they decide to help train a local resistance cell. And in overthrowing the separatists and the Jedi are not allowed to directly participate other than to defend themselves. Um, but they are allowed to train uh, the rebels. And among them are Saw Gerrera and his sister. Um, his sister dies in during the training. Um, but uh, Saw Gerrera and some other folks are there. And this is where Ahsoka first makes her connection to a rebel element, makes a first connection to Saw Gerrera and starts to recognize that the Jedi could be helping people in a more meaningful way and choose not to, right? She she basically asks during this, why don't we just help liberate these guys? Or why don't we do this all the time? Like, why don't we help people rise up? And the Jedi Council kind of says, nope, that's not our thing. And this, I think, is a theme that we see, you know, not just in our galaxy far, far away, but in our current galaxy where we see young people start asking questions and wondering why, you know, the, the people in charge don't make a bigger impact, why they don't make a change. And, and I, I think that this is particularly uh, poignant right now 
But also when you think about just looking at the scenario from someone's eyes when they're so impressionable and wondering, okay, where is this going to send this person? And that's what happens with Ahsoka. So it, she she realizes she has an option to become a quasi-activist. She kind of goes against the Jedi Council. She's exceeded her mandate a little bit, but she doesn't go all the way. And, and she she can only help so much. And as you pointed out earlier, Saw's sister winds up passing. And so she's disappointed in the Jedi. And she's realized that because of her affiliation with them, she disappointed other people. And that lays the groundwork for more things to come that are are very disheartening. Yeah. And so immediately sort of after this, um, they, her and because uh, I think Anakin during that time has to go and do something else and he comes back to Andron. And from there, they're recalled back to Coruscant because there's been a bombing at the Jedi Temple. And, um, so, you know, several Jedi are killed as well as, you know, some civilian contractors and, and some other folks who work at the Jedi Temple. And because Ahsoka and Anakin were not on Coruscant at the time, they're tasked with investigating the bombing and trying to get to the bottom of who did this. And what's really wild is somehow through, you know, the, the sequence of events of investigating and then trying to run down who the actual bomber is, it gets turned around and Ahsoka ends up being accused of being the terrorist. Right. And at this point, we're at the last few episodes of season five of The Clone Wars. Ahsoka is probably around 16 years old. Anakin is what, like 22? Yeah, something, some, like, something that. like that. Yep. So we've, we've essentially got two children running this uh, investigation, <laughs> if you think about it. Um, and so again, we've got two people whose eyes are very impressionable, who, whose hearts and minds very impressionable by the sequence of events that are going to happen. And, and this is where we've talked before about how when I saw episode three, that I was just like, Anakin pledges his allegiance to the emperor real fast or to Darcidius real fast. Like that doesn't make any sense. This is all where it starts making sense. That's right. And so during this, um, you know, Ahsoka is basically accused um, of being the terrorist. She's arrested. The Jedi Council are advised by Palpatine to expel her from the Order, and they meditate on this. Um, Meanwhile, Anakin does not believe that she's guilty and sets out to find the, you know, the actual... Uh, perpetrator somewhere during the during I think while Ahsoka is she's on the run because when she gets accused she goes on the run and she hooks up with Asajj Ventress and works with Ventress to try to prove her innocence and that doesn't go particularly well for her um, because the real uh, the real terrorist sort of sabotages the two of them but Anakin never really gives up faith in her so he continues investigating even after she's been interrogated but probably in one of the more um, you know kind of terrible scenes um, the Jedi meet in what's called the Chamber of Justice, which is for some reason in the in the Jedi Temple, they've got this room where the, the Jedi Masters sit on these thrones about 40 feet above the accused and the accused sort of rise up through a hole in the floor and Master and Padawan um, are, you know, stood forth in judgment and they don't get to present a case. They don't get to do anything. The Masters have meditated and have made their decision. And they decide to expel Ahsoka from the Jedi Order before she stands trial before the Senate. Right. And you know how we've talked in the past about how Palpatine is the master puppet master. And so he's like, 
you he's kind of nudging everything in the right direction to encourage a quick um trial against Ahsoka and he wants you know as long as she's not a Jedi then it can go to the Senate and so you kind of wonder did he help manipulate the force during their meditation is he clouding their judgment so that they made the wrong choice during meditation or was this something that the Jedi are just so used to always following their rules that as soon as someone says well wait a minute what about this I'm not trying to like change everything and be a revolutionary. I just want to take a moment and think about something different, that they're just not ready for that. And that's why they choose to cast her out. Yeah. And, and I think it, it's maybe even more crass than that is that it's, it's highly political, right? The, you know, the Senate is, you know, they're, they're sort of losing the hearts and minds of the Republic at this point. The Senate is not necessarily on their side. They don't believe Palpatine's on their side. And he makes this recommendation that they that they expel her and move quickly to trial. And I think that they start to feel like they don't have the political power to deny that. And so I don't think that they rely on meditations on the force or anything as subtle as as, you know, Sidious being able to manipulate their their meditation. I think it's a pure political calculation that they don't have the political power or will to um, to, you know, sort of resist this. And so they just sort of go along with it and sacrifice one of their own to, you know, keep from having to get into a fight with uh, the chancellor in the Senate. And that's even worse. Yeah, and I 100% agree with you there. The way that it's portrayed doesn't necessarily look that way, but I completely agree with you in that matter, is that their weakness is why they are willing to be complicit in this attack against one of their own. And they're, if they were more prepared for the dark side of the force in which they've had you know 20 years to be prepared because they've known of this threat this whole time or not 20 years but they've had at least like 12 years yeah and they they choose not to really do anything of any substance against it that that is why we lose someone who is just so incredibly strong with the force She's cast out of the Jedi Order, and when they offer her an opportunity to come back, she's been so disillusioned, and and she just she doesn't have it in her to come back. Yeah, and so she when when her name is cleared and her good friend Barrisofree is shown to be the terrorist, um, then she's invited back to the Jedi Order and she turns them down, and this is heartbreaking for Anakin, and this. You know, and and again, I don't want to blame Ahsoka for anything, any choices that Anakin makes, but this is definitely another step in his disillusionment with the Jedi Council and makes, softens him up uh, for the manipulations of Darth Sidious. Right. And I think Anakin was protected from some of the manipulations from Sidious because of his relationship with Ahsoka. And I think that her kindness and her compassion are what really held him from going too far because remember when we see episode two in attack of the clones and he's like killing all those sand people he had padme padme is not strong enough to balance the force for him and it turns out ahsoka was yeah and then when their relationship kind of splits up that that's where he's out of balance again and is able to be easily manipulated and he becomes so focused on winning the battles he's such a general he's he's just not aware of the the big plan of things and it's kind of you know if you want to go back a couple thousand years you, you got your you know 
Hoth kind of situation. So. Yep, exactly. Just like General Hoth. Just like General Hoth. Um, and so from here, what's what's really interesting is in the story of Ahsoka, you know, the way that Star Wars media was created, we kind of lose track of her for a long time until season seven of Clone Wars came out and we find out basically what happens to her immediately after this. Yeah, so she's got like a few months of just kind of hanging out in the lower levels of Coruscant. And we learn that there's that big disconnect between what we saw in, you know, the clouds of Coruscant to kind of like the gritty city of Coruscant. And so we, we meet up with Marta's sisters, which we've talked about before. And, you know, the plot notwithstanding, it just again continues to create this version of what the Jedi Council are in Ahsoka's mind, that they are not um, the end all be all. And that even if she has friends on the council and she has friends within the Jedi Order like Anakin, Obi-Wan and Yoda, she doesn't want to go back because she sees what the Jedi have done and how they're viewed. That's right. And and importantly, she sees that they have they have failed the common people of the Republic and that they're not seen as the heroes that she was raised to believe that they are. Um, and so then the other thing that comes out of, you know, uh, her her kind of adventures with the Martez sisters is she gets on the radar of uh, Bo-Katan Kreese. Also very timely. Yes, also very timely for the same spoiler reasons that we talked about earlier. Um, Bo-Katan and Ahsoka will meet again. Yes. Yes. Um, but Bo-Katan, just to remind everybody, Bo-Katan is a, is a Mandalorian. Um, she was, is the sister of the Duchess of Mandalore who was murdered by Maul. Um, Maul at this time is sort of in control of Mandalore. And, uh, Bo-Katan was also a member of Death Watch, which is sort of an extremist. It was actually a group that she was a member of when she was opposing her own sister. There's a more of a, um, you know, kind of warrior version of the Mandalorians where the Duchess was much, uh, more of a, of a um, pacifist. pacifist. Yeah. yeah. And, and so she is at this time sort of on a quest with her group, which is called the Night Owls, to uh, retake Mandalore for the Mandalorians and get rid of Maul. And she, uh, she basically gets Ahsoka to agree to help her because the Jedi and the Republic will not hear her out. And so she she finds Ahsoka and she says, hey, you kind of know the Jedi. Uh, do you think you could get us some help? Or if you can't get them to help us, will you help us retake Mandalore from Maul and um, his super commandos? And that does work out um, because it brings her back. She gets kind of a final encounter with Obi-Wan and Anakin. And there's a very moving tribute with the 501st and uh, the reunion with Rex. And then we basically uh, see her, Rex, and um, the other clones head on out to Mandalore. Yeah. And and we lose Obi-Wan and Anakin to basically episode three, uh, kind of that like final battle stuff. That's right. And I think the really important parts of this, so one is they assign half of the 501st to work for Ahsoka. And those guys paint their helmets uh, to sort of match her uh, her face pattern. Um, And then... um, you know, Anakin gives her her lightsabers back because she turned you. She kind of gave up her lightsabers when she left the Jedi Order, and he interestingly modifies them from being co- sort of yellow and green to being blue like his. Um, and that's what she fights with in her final battle with Maul. Um, and you know, this does it brings her back with Rex. It brings her back to Mandalore. It brings her back into the war. 
it allows her to follow along with the events of episode three, um, which, as we know, ultimately results in the execution of Order 66. And in something that I personally feel is controversial, um, the clones decide that she is part of the Jedi that need to be eliminated, even though she points out on more than one occasion she's no longer a Jedi. Right. And I think that to a certain extent, Order 66 is deeper than the destruction of the Jedi. I think it's the destruction of any force wielder that is not uh, Sidious. But Yes, yes. But... Um... Yeah, I don't know. Just a little subtlety there. But uh, but ultimately, she captures Maul with the help of the Mandalorians. She leaves Bo-Katan in charge of Mandalore. Um, Bo-Katan reclaims the Darksaber at this point. And, um, All important information Very important for information for later, yeah. Um, but uh, on her way back to Coruscant with Maul, uh, Order 66 fires off and she finds herself... Uh, she helps Rex get his chip out of his head so he's no longer affected by Order 66 and they find themselves basically up against an entire ship full of clones that want to kill them and they free Maul to create a distraction who really just wants to kill everybody, I guess, and escape. Uh, and so they have a whole host of problems. And I think one of the interesting things that we actually haven't talked about before, which I'm surprised, is, is that it, there's that parallel between Maul and Ahsoka. Here are two disillusioned apprentices and Ahsoka is so sad and Maul is so angry. And, and so Maul just, he wants to get his revenge in any possible way he can get it because he's just so bummed out. And he is sad too, but he's really, really angry. He's so disappointed that he didn't get to be the apprentice. He was supposed to be the apprentice. And instead he was the Phantom Menace who got cut in half and then had a really like tough go of it. And Ahsoka, she was an assigned apprentice and she grew into a relationship that Maul never got to have with Sidious and he wanted to have something like that. And then to find out that he was passed over not once but twice in favor of uh, Anakin, like that just really cut him to the core. And when Ahsoka realizes that she's been passed over in favor of um, some kind of infatuation with the dark side of the force, it just it brings her sadness. But it brings her a closer friendship with Rex, if that's even possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really interesting point on Maul because, you know, during her during during their fight, Maul, or I guess just before their fight, Maul offers to work with her to take down Sidious. And he and and he says that the reason that he lured people to Mandalore was to try to get Skywalker there to kill him, to deny Sidious his prize. And she basically um, she doesn't believe it. She doesn't believe that that can happen. And that's what leads to her conflict with Maul. Um, but very briefly, it looked like Ahsoka was willing to join with Maul as kind of the two, you know, the two of them um, working together to defeat Sidious in a way that the rest of the Jedi Council and really no one else could do. And, and I really believe that if they had, if they had gone to Coruscant together, they probably could have pulled it off because they're both extremely powerful. Completely agree. And I, I think, you know, we ultimately see it at the end of episode nine that it takes a, you know, a dark and a light side um, force wielder to take down Palpatine. Yeah. Y you can't have just one side of the force. Y you have to find balance between the two sides to get rid of the actual like cancer within the force. And and so, um yeah, no, she she has the truth told to her by Maul. Maul doesn't you know, he doesn't hold anything back, but she's just 
and again, it goes back to just the kind of person she is being so kind and just wanting to believe the best. And then that leaves her in a very sad place. And we basically lose track of her for 15 years. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a book that is debatable whether or not it's canon about kind of what she does immediately after this and how she gets her um, her lightsabers back. Um, the the very short version of that story is uh, an equi- an inquisitor is sent. Uh, ultimately, she tries to help out some people. She is revealed an inquisitor is sent. And she's been burying her connection to the Force. And finally, in this fight with the Inquisitor, she has no choice but to, um, but to you know, use her Force powers. And ultimately, she uses the Force to cause the Inquisitor's own lightsaber to destruct, you know, to basically self-destruct because she feels a pull from the crystals within it. And she resonates the crystals, explodes his lightsaber kills the the inquisitor and then meditates on the force on on the corrupted crystals purifies them and uses them to build her own new lightsabers and that's why her lightsabers are white instead of the traditional green or blue that is so cool yes who else has white lightsabers the only other character that i know that has a white lightsaber is uh my man corn horn who, oh. who has a, a silver white lightsaber that he uses um, some different kinds of gems to make. But those are the only two that I've ever heard of. Very cool. Yes. So yeah, she basically, we lose track of her for 15 years, but what we can kind of guess and figure out is eventually she just, she figures out, she goes into hiding for a little bit, um, but she uh, links back up with Bail Organa of Alderaan and joins the rebellion fairly early on and becomes a high-level intelligence officer within the rebellion doing various, um, you know, spying and, and coordination with different rebel cells. And she goes by the codename Fulcrum. Which is a codename that gets used multiple times during Rebels, but she is the first uh, Fulcrum that we meet. And very exciting, very great way to round out season one of Rebels. And then we get her for almost an entire season of Rebels in season two. Yeah, and she plays an instrumental role in sort of recovering Kanan Jarrus to, you know, become uh, the Jedi that he is and to train Ezra Bridger. Um, she doesn't really directly instruct Ezra at all. At all, she really spends her time working with Kanan to help him understand how to work with uh, with Ezra. I think there's a really interesting se- sequence where you know before they meet Ahsoka, Kanan and Ezra find a Jedi temple on Lothal, and they open the temple together and they go into it. and And this is where Ezra meets Yoda for the very first time in a disembodied voice. Um, and the second time they go back to the temple. Uh, Ahsoka is with them and Ezra kind of defers to Ahsoka and Kanan to open the temple and Ahsoka kind of looks at him is like what's what's up and he's like well you know you two should open this and she said I'm no longer a Jedi this isn't my place to open this temple and so um, she leaves it up to Kanan and Ezra to open the temple and they go in and each of them kind of go their own path and during that she sees Master of of Force Projection of Master Yoda and kind of waves to him and so he knows that she's okay which is which is a neat little touch obviously they don't really interact very much Um, but she hangs with the uh, with the Spectre team for a little bit um, until the uh, episode on Malachor. Right. So this is the end of season two where uh, Maul has once again come back into play. He'd love to have another apprentice get his revenge. You got to give him props for his commitment and focus. I I don't know if so many other characters have that same level 
Um, but we're, we're talking about Ahsoka here, so I, I won't praise Maul any further. But, but this, this is where we, we come back to Ahsoka and we're going to leave her for a little bit. And she, uh, she realizes her place is to continue so that the rebellion can move forward, but she has to come to an end. And she is very clear in understanding that very early on in the adventures. You can tell every look on her face that she knows that her purpose is not to be the one to, you know, blow up the Death Star. Her purpose is to uh, to basically encounter her, her old master. She knows that Vader and Anakin are the same. She, she's been denying it for so long and she's finally accepted it. And now she has to confront her old fears, very similarly to how Obi-Wan kind of told Anna, uh, told Luke that he had to confront Vader. Th- this is very similar, too. That's right. And in the in the fight on Malachor, you know, there's there's a, there are Inquisitors there. Maul is there. Um, Kanan uh, and Ezra are there. Ahsoka is there. And, you know, she continues to coach Kanan to trust Ezra. Um, but, you know, ultimately, Darth Vader shows up. And when she first meets him, he looks surprised to see her because he thought she was dead. Uh, at the end of season seven of Clone Wars, he finds her lightsabers in the snow along with a bunch of uh, helmets of dead clones. And so he believed her to be dead. Uh, he recognizes her. She recognizes him in the force. And then he basically says that Anakin Skywalker is no longer. And she kind of in a very similar to Luke Skywalker saying, my father is truly dead. She says, my master is truly dead. And then she goes, she tries to wail on him pretty good. And, you know, they have a very intense fight while she is trying to give Ezra and Kanan time to escape. Right. And they do, um, not without Kanan getting blinded. But, you know, essentially she's like, See on the flip side if I ever do. And so at that point, we believe that she's dead. That's right. Because at the end, the the temple on Malachor collapses. Um, Darth Vader barely escapes with his life. And the last we see her, the temple is collapsing around her. And we really don't hear anything from her for a couple of years. Yeah. So this is where we have a series of really cool episodes in season four, right before the end. At this point, Palpatine, Darth Sidious, he has figured out that Ezra Bridger is strong with the force, has some pretty cool powers. And we've got those really trippy episodes where we see the uh, world between worlds. Yeah. And so in the world between worlds, um, time and space sort of collide. Um, and it's a portal through the force that you can visit sort of any time and place. And when Ezra is in there, uh, Moriai appears, and Moriai directs him to a portal where he sees basically the point where Ahsoka died. And instead of Darth Vader cutting her down, Ezra pulls her through the portal into the world between worlds. And so in that fight, she sort of disappears. And that's the point where Vader loses track of her, but the temple is collapsing, so he leaves. Um... She spends a moment in the world between worlds, helps Ezra escape Darth Sidious, uh, and then says, you know, Ezra wants her to come back to his time and place. And she says, that's not really how this works. I need to go back to where I was, but I'll survive. And he says, okay, great. Well, when you're, you know, when the time comes, come find me. And so what we see at the end of that episode is her walking back through the portal and walking into a cave on Malachor, presumably to spend what the next 10 years alone on Malachor 
Something like that. Except um, we have reason to believe, without too many spoilers, we have reason to believe she has found another planet at some point um, and isn't going to spend all of her time on Malachor. But. Well, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know how long she's there, but she's there for she's got to be there for a while because there are no spaceships there. Right. Like, you know, when um, Vader still is his palace there. No, his palace is on Mustafar, not Malachor. Oh, yeah, Mustafar, you're right. You're yeah. Right. No, Malachor is that Sith planet. And at this point, Vader took his shuttle and left the uh, the ghost or the, I mean, the uh, the phantom left. Um, and then somebody Maul took off in the Inquisitor's TIE fighter. And so she's left there with no ship until somebody else shows up on Malachor. So at some point, somebody's got to show up there to get her out of Malachor. But she's there for some time meditating by herself on a Sith planet. Oh, man, that, that's a rough go of it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see a lot of food there, but, you know, whatever. Well, I mean, the Sith can, like, survive on their hatred in the Force. And they can skip eating. I wonder if you can, like feast on the deliciousness of the light side of the force. I, apparently you can because she does. And so the next time that we see her is at the very, very end of Rebels after Ezra Bridger has uh, defeated Thrawn and gone off into wherever with the, uh, with the Pergils. Um, and we see an epilogue where f- some probably five years later, after, sometime after the Battle of Endor, uh, Sabine is sort of talking and she's doing the voiceover and she talks about realizing that Ezra's last request to find him was, you know, something that she was meant to do. And then Ahsoka appears and she's kind of wearing a cloak. She has a staff. She looks very, um, kind of Gandalf reborn, <laughs> um, you know, white Jedi type. Um, and she gets off of a shuttle and we presume at that point that Sabine and Ahsoka, uh, begin their quest to find Ezra Bridger. Which again, all of this tracks really nicely with where we are in the Mandalorian. It tracks really nicely with the rumors coming out of Disney as far as additional content to be viewed on Disney plus and timeline wise, Ahsoka's, you know, probably mid to late thirties. So she's got time for adventures. Yeah, yeah, she's not that old. And I mean, by the time we're we're in sort of the Din Djarin uh, Mandalorian piece, right? She's what, probably in her, yeah, late 30s, early 40s, right? Yeah, I, I think we did the math. She's probably 38-ish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... Um, and so she's got a she's got a lot left to give. I mean, probably uh, meditating on a Sith planet isn't really good for your longevity. But you know, um, there's a but lot of time. But it's not like two suns on the on a- Tatooine. Apparently, because in a whole other discussion and a whole other podcast, we'll talk about apparently Obi Wan ages worse than anybody else in the galaxy uh, living there on Tatooine. But um, put on your sunscreen, y'all. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so it seems like, you know, she's, she's ready for another set of adventures and we're probably going to catch her in the middle of that. Um, as far as, you know, the end of, you know, the end of her story, we really don't know. The only thing that we have that goes beyond this is a sort of rumor attached to episode nine at the very end when Ray is, is lying there dying. She hears the voices of many Jedi that came before all of whom are dead um, we hear Anakin, we hear Luke, we hear Obi-Wan, we hear Qui-Gon Jinn, we hear, um, and we hear the voice of Ahsoka and the, you know, sort of the assumption there is then she's one of the Jedi that have gone on and she's part of the, all of the Jedi that is Rey. At the same time, by that point, she would only, you know, chronologically be in her sixties, not, 
impossible for her still to be alive. And so we really don't know what her fate is. No. What is interesting is that when she was cast out of the Jedi Order, at no point did she ever go back to figure out who her family was, the the Tanos. We, we don't know anything about them. Um, so I, I think that is an interesting difference as far as things that she chose to do with her life. She never sought out her family from which she, she was taken from or, or given by, um, as opposed to like Dooku. Like he left the Jedi Order and went back to the family business of being a count, you know. I mean, he also went to the dark side of the force at yeah. the same time. But yeah. By the way, going back to the family business of just being an aristocrat, nice work if you can get it. <laughs> oh, right. Totally. But yeah, I, I'm assuming the Tanos were maybe more working class people. But anyway, um, so so when you, you kind of look at the choices that she has, she really doesn't have anyone but the Jedi, who she was cast away from, but Anakin, who then chose turned his back on her in favor of the dark side and what he believed was saving Padme. She loses her rebel friends because, you know, she dies and then she's trapped in the world between worlds. And then she she finally has an opportunity to come back. So what I'm so excited for is to see those friendships and relationships again because poor poor thing she she didn't have a boyfriend I, I mean she wasn't allowed to but like she she just didn't have very many attachments that um you know I, I think we as you know non-jedi have experienced and I want to see her have an opportunity for that moving forward too because now she doesn't she's not confined by those rules she's not fighting the rebellion um I think it would be great to get an opportunity to see what her her relationship status looks like with those around her. Yeah, I think that would be really great. And I think she's one of the few people that we meet in, you know, in this in this galaxy that, you know, are probably worthy of having and, and you know, capable of having those kinds of relationships. And so, yeah, that would be really great to see. Yeah. And I, I think just kind of the whole idea that she's got all this experience and wisdom at you know whopping 37 38 years old that's pretty cool too yeah sure absolutely so what what's your big hope for ahsoka so i mean i really want to see you know obviously her meeting baby yoda is going to be something i and i sincerely hope that she's the one who officially names him baby yoda and then that can be his real name going forward. Um, I think she's going to really help out Din Djarin to understand what he's gotten himself into um, and, you know, and sort of take that story forward. But I really, really hope that we, you know, that's a, a brief blip in an episode. And then we move on to really her and Sabine finding Ezra. And, you know, I mean, you can imagine a timeline where ultimately they kind of, you know, start their own thing and way later hook up with Ray and the resistance and, you know, and help them out down the line. Um, but I really just want to see her develop as more of a person. I could also easily see a world where she helps find Ezra or she goes on a quest with Sabine and then decides to leave all the adventure behind and like settle down and, you know, and just be a person and do good works. And so I don't know. I just want to see more of her story. I think that she's She's just one of the most likable characters. She's one of the few that really have no apparent dark side and really no downside to her personality. She's not a story of redemption. She's a story of just continued positivity. And we, uh, I think we need more of that. I completely co-signed to all of that. Yep. So what's next for us? 
Well, uh, 15 plus hours in the car uh, talking about Star Wars. So don't be surprised if we've got some random thoughts on our next podcast. Yep. Um, We're also going to shoot for some special guests because we're on our way to visit some family that want to talk Star Wars with us. And I think there's a possibility we might uh, catch a glimpse of that Lego holiday special. And I'm sure we'll have some thoughts about that. I am looking forward to this whole Lego Star Wars universe thing. We haven't gotten there yet. We've been very focused on the non-Lego content, but I am looking forward to exploring that with you. Yeah, I mean, I watched the preview of this and it looks like it's going to be delightful. Obviously, like going to be kind of nonsensical and very funny, but I think it's going to be great. Yeah, and on that note, uh, we are going to have to get into some of the other... uh, you know, non-canon Star Wars stuff like the Phineas and Ferb Star Wars and the Family Guy Star Wars a lot less good. But, you know, those kinds of things, just the impact that Star Wars has on other pop culture. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, good. That that means we get to talk about Darth Jar Jar. Oh, man. (laughs) All right. If you want. You never know. I love you. I know.